You're listening to KMUZ, Turner. Visit our website at kmuz.org to see our complete program schedule and learn more about supporting KMUZ. Welcome to The Forum, our weekly public affairs program. We edit and rebroadcast recordings of lectures, interviews, and presentations of public interest to the Mid-Willamette Valley. Find our Facebook page, The Forum on KMUZ, for upcoming topics and to leave comments. Today's forum is a recording of the first of two business-centered presentations put together by Salem City Club program directors. This first event is on lessons learned from the pandemic and why it pays for local manufacturers to be nimble. Another coming up will feature the service sector and its response to the pandemic. Today's lunchtime presenters came from the high-tech and economic development areas of the manufacturing industry in Oregon. Hello, I'm Ron Ekes, president of Salem City Club, and I'd like to welcome you to today's program. We are in our 55th year, and I'm glad you could join us for this program, which is the first of a two-part series. Salem City Club's mission is to provide nonpartisan civil discourse on important civic issues. We will be presenting programs every two weeks through the spring when our season concludes at the end of May. Due to the ongoing pandemic, we will be presenting our programs virtually. We hope you will sign up and join us. You can visit SalemCityClub.com for more information and to register for our programs. As always, I want to thank our members, our volunteers, and friends who continue to support Salem City Club. Your memberships and donations enable us to continue presenting these programs. Thank you as well to Spire Management for the association services they provide. Salem City Club also depends on the generous support of our supporting business partners. These are KMUZ Community Radio, Blue Jean Fulbert Graphic Design, Pioneer Trust Bank, Rich Duncan Construction, Virgil T. Golden Funeral Home, and Busy Bees Real Estate. And now today's program lead, Russ Beaton, will introduce our speakers. Thank you, Ron, and good morning to everyone. We've all heard a lot about uh, the pandemic and the economy and the national news. The program committee has had a lot of desire to hear more about how the pandemic has affected our local economy. When you think about that, it became apparent to us that the effects of the pandemic on a manufacturing firm and export-based firm would be very different than the stuff we've all heard about, about the local economy, service sector, restaurants, et cetera, shutting down. So we decided to do a two-part series, and today is the first of those two parts. Today, we'll look at the trade sector, manufacturing, et cetera. Uh, and our, our panelists, uh, you're going to enjoy two people here, Eric Anderson, president of SETCOR, and Russ Monk, who is the co-founder of Watershed Technology, Watershed and also High Impact Technologies. I think you're going to be very interested in what you hear. Uh, from those people. First will be Eric, who has a great deal of experience in economic development. He, his background includes work in the public utility industry, serving as economic development manager for Tacoma Public Utilities, as well as Pacific Power. He was Governor Ted Kulangoski's economic revitalization team leader. He was, suggest he was uh, selected as Oregon Economic Developer of the Year in 2014. 
His jobs also included as a business development officer with the, with the Department of Economic Development, in which case he represented an area up near the Dalles, Hood River, Wasco County as the local economic development specialist. In Wasco County, there is a small town of Dufer. You may not know where Dufer is. It is somewhere northeast of Womack or of, of Maupin, is very near Thai Valley and Womack. And in that context, Eric came up with what I still consider the outstanding economic development slogan I have ever heard. Ask not what you can do for Dufer, but ask what Dufer can do for you. With that, that's not Eric's topic today. We'd like to hear a little more about SEDCOR. And with that, Eric, I'd like to turn it over to you. Don't think I can take credit for the uh, for the doofer slogan. The you know what what can uh, you do for doofer? But uh, certainly catchy, and I haven't heard that in a while. So uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm Eric Anderson with SEDCOR. Um, we're the Strategic Economic Development Organization located here in, in Salem, covering the Mid Willamette Valley, uh, Marion, Polk, and Yamhill counties. So this is our stated mission, leverage public and private partnerships to successfully grow, retain, and attract high-value jobs and capital investment. Uh, a bit of a mouthful, so we have an informal motto as well. I know a guy, or I know a gal. That reflects our ability to make connections with the right resources for growing businesses. 2022 is our 40th anniversary year. Uh, we are a nonprofit uh, funded through partnerships with local government and our membership, as well as uh, additional revenues from project management and events. Uh, a lot of people associate our organization with business recruitment. That always seems to get the attention in the local press, but in reality, that's only one part of our work plan. Most of our work is aimed at uh, retention expansion of businesses that are already here in the community, and uh, more on that in a bit. In the past couple of years, we've added some significant initiatives to our work plan. Through Launch Mid Valley, we partner with the City of Salem, Chemeketa Small Business Development Center, and other organizations around the region to uh, provide resources that help entrepreneurs scale up their businesses. Our venture catalyst, Mike White, sponsors pub talks, business plan boot camps, and even launched our first seed fund this year, the Mid Valley Angel Fund. SEDCOR also unveiled our Northwest Ag Innovation Hub program to recognize the importance of agriculture and the agriculture supply chain in our regional economy, working with the Technology Association of Oregon and, and several other partners. Um, we, we like to say that we were talking about supply chain um, well before it became something you heard on the news uh, on an almost uh, hourly basis these days. And of course, we've also been actively involved with community and economic recovery efforts uh, in the wake of the wildfires in the Santiam Canyon. So here in Salem, we coordinate outreach to our major employers with city economic development staff. What we learn from businesses guides our work. We emphasize SEDCOR's work plan is industry driven. We hear a lot about supply chain issues and we've prioritized working with businesses to help develop their local sources of supply. On our website, which is www.sedcor.com, we feature two videos that uh, we've commissioned to help uh, demonstrate the extent of economic impact of things we grow, in one case hops and in another case grapes, to show how much they touch other industries in the region. Shortly, we'll be launching an online resource to match food and beverage processors with growers in the region as well. The SEDCOR team is currently working with employers to address issues like workforce housing and daycare to help retain and attract workers. We're becoming much more aware of the issues associated with funding these types of initiatives and identifying the partners that need to be at the table. Uh, for example, DCI, uh, dental equipment manufacturer in Newburgh, 
Like many businesses, they were struggling to retain and find new workers. One of the biggest challenges they identified with their workforce was finding daycare. And working with SEDCOR, Yamhill County, and daycare providers, uh, a plan to create new slots for D both DCI employees as well as the public at large was created. And these facilities are currently underway in McMinnville and Newburgh. Here are just a couple other examples that resulted from our outreach. Jinsege Foods, formerly Chang 2 here in Salem, if they're off the Salem Parkway, if you've seen their nifty new sign. Uh, they're a Korean manufacturer about to open the doors on a, a, a pretty massive new expansion for them. The uh, project will allow the company to grow and sell its products on a much more national scale in retailers like Costco, in addition to uh, you know, local retailers and regional retailers. This, um, we've helped them to find local sources of vegetables and protein for their products, as well as helping them with some creative uh, opportunities, branding, packaging, and, and other things. Um, it's, uh, we kind of feel like we have a partnership with them, partnership with them and we're looking forward to seeing and, and the public seeing their uh, new facility as it uh, opens up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Also, Yamasa, on the other side of this slide, Yamasa Soy, um, Yamasa International, they're here in Salem, they produce soy sauce. A lot of folks don't know that uh, we've got one of the uh, rare soy sauce manufacturers in this country here in Salem. They were looking for a source of locally grown red wheat, um, something that would help them cut their transportation costs, both in, times of, in, in terms of time, in terms of money, and in terms of carbon. We connected them with a farmer in uh, Yamhill County, Rudenclaw Farms, and uh, they were willing to try a test plot. And they started with 20 acres, and now we're happy to say that uh, it passed all the requirements that uh, Yamasa needed for its product, and they are uh, producing, uh, growing 100 acres of red wheat for that company. And they're expanding their production here in Salem, um, for, so even more soy sauce will be on local shelves with uh, Oregon wheat in it. And then there's Watershed, a division of high impact technologies, one of several businesses in the region that pivoted at the start of the pandemic to meet the emerging needs for personal protective equipment or PPE. Um, they produced gowns for the region's hospitals. We wanted to help Watershed and other businesses as they retooled their operations to produce much needed PPE, sanitizer from St. Cousaire and Divine Distillers, uh, face shields from ADEC, uh, masks from Northwest Alpine here in Salem, many others. We developed an online database of nearly 20 uh, local regional uh, PPE manufacturers to help promote their products and help them get in the loop with state procurement and emergency management officials. It was uh, a lot of things happening all at one time and uh, we really felt that there was some information uh, assistance needed and we were very pleased to be able to get those businesses together as, as well as uh, connect them with uh, some of the state resources to help them out. While the headlines talked about masks, you know, grown, uh, masks and gowns that are sitting in ports overseas, we were really happy to see uh, our local businesses really step up and make these supplies local to keep our employees uh, and first responders uh, safe. Which provides me the perfect segue to introduce Russ Monk, Director of Operations and Co-Founder of High Impact Technologies. Setcourt's had the pleasure of trying to keep up with Russ and his endless energy to address major issues we are facing today, whether it's PPE during a pandemic or shelters for our neighbors experiencing homelessness. Setcourt awarded uh, the company our um, award for innovation in 2020, and frankly, we could probably 
be doing that on an annual basis because the company and Russ are um, continuously innovating and coming up with great ideas that address uh, many of the issues we're dealing with. So I have the pleasure of uh, uh, sending this over to Russ to go from here. And can everybody see me? Because I, I just have a black and white uh, or black screen on mine. Can Eric, can you see my face? I think they can can't see your face, but we can see um, there we go. your presentation at least. So, oh, there oh, we go. There I am. Okay, okay, good. Yep. Okay. So thank you. Uh, honored to be part of SEDCOR. Um, we have do a lot of really fun things here in Salem and probably much of it is below the radar. So it's really fun to have a chance to speak here. I've lived in Salem for over 50 years and, and I, I love where we live. An hour to the ocean, an hour to the mountains and some of the best wine country on the planet. Um, it's about as good as it gets in my mind. So life is good that way. Um, I also love creating jobs that are, that are for our, our local economy. Uh, jobs are the great equalizer. If you have a job, you're adding to the pile. If you don't, you're taking out of the pile. So I look at that in a very simple way. Um, our beginning claim to fame is high impact technologies is actually a military technology company that uh, helps keep our troops alive. And our first big technology that was invented here in Salem uh, is a self-healing coating that actually goes on the fuel tanker trucks. Um, and the picture you're seeing is a tanker truck on fire. In Iraq and Afghanistan, the insurgents realized that they could target the fuel supply, take the fuel out, and everything stops. You know, helicopters, generators, Humvees, the whole enchilada. So, so the U.S. Army asked us to uh, armor the fuel tankers, and my business partner and I landed on, if we did the weight bogey, you'd have to drop about a third of the weight of the fuel to offset the armor. Um, in World War II, they invented a bladder that goes inside the jet fighter wing that could self-heal and let the plane get home. Why don't we put something like that on the outside of the fuel tank? And so what we did is we pitched that to the Army. They loved the idea. Uh, three days later, their head engineer was on our doorstep here in Salem. Uh, and we actually had three days to make a working prototype off a crazy idea. Um, it was ugly, but it worked. Um, he flew back to, D to, to Detroit, to the headquarters of the military side on Saturday, met with all the commanders of the vehicles on Sunday. And Monday, we got a hot phone call that says, we love this idea. How long will it take you to get this uh, operational? And by the way, you don't have much time because that needs to be operational at Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. Uh, and there was one working prototype in the world at that point. So we, we said, let's think. And my business partner and I landed on two weeks. We could probably have this ready to fly. Um, we three hours later got a phone call that said, you have to be at Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland on Friday. And it was Monday. And so we cobbled everything together. And uh, there was a tanker, a 5,000-gallon tanker they wanted to spray and the ballistic, uh, formal military ballistic test at the same time. And by the end of the weekend, it was approved for military use. It was 10 days ride to military approval. And then three weeks later, we're in Kuwait setting up a retrofit factory to be able to take the tankers that are coming in and out of Iraq and, and protect them. And so that was just insanely fast timeframe, but it worked. And the army, after a couple of years of retrofitting all the trucks, they, they realized that the most expensive place to produce anything is in the heart of a war zone. So then it came back stateside to all the big truck makers around, military truck makers around the country. Um, and, and it's been specced for 16 years on military programs. And then we've exported it all over the world as well. 
Um, the picture to the left is actually me looking like a business guy at my co-inventor, uh, Tom Onstead, who owns the Ballistics and Blast Lab. And that's the Secretary of Commerce. We won the Presidential Excellence of Ex uh, Export Award uh, for this technology. And, and our business model uh, is part of the uniqueness of this. I never want to learn German labor law or Australian labor law or Saudi labor law. So what we do is we find an anchored company in the in the region and we bring the technology, the materials and, and the know-how into the country and teach local companies how to use the technology. And then it becomes a finished good made inside the country. And so we get the benefit of all the material and the training and they get the benefit of the finished good being produced locally. Um, that's kind of a novel model that has worked really well for us. And I also don't have to be a big company with lots of employees that are shipping all over the world we find strategic friends that we are able to work with. Um, and, and that's been a, a secret of our success in this technology. Um, so that was the flagship technology and it's still flying. We hit a home run with that and, and the ball is still, still in the air and I'm very proud of that. Um, Eric is trying to get the video to go and there it is. So that is 5,000 frames a second. And if you could kick it again, Eric, I don't know if it'll play a second time. Um, that is a 30-06 bullet, and it seals, and then there's a reactive chemistry that mixes with the fuel as it's trying to escape that actually creates a healing mechanism, so it heals and never leaks again. And one of the big trucks, uh, like the one that's on fire in the picture, uh, ended up with over 800 bullet holes in it, and, and it uh, sealed, and they never lost any fuel at all. So it's just an incredibly valuable uh, material, and it also enhances the tank for rollover and young soldiers running into other buildings and things like that. So I, I'm proud to say that's the flagship technology. And, and with that, we were able to then, we stepped back and said, why don't we just be a technology development company from, from this and the revenue that that created? Uh, let's go to the next one, if you would. Oh, nice. I always like to start the thing with a blast. So this is kind of fun. And so my business partner owns a premier ballistics and blast lab here in Salem and out in central Oregon, he has a big blast range where he's doing blasts for the military and many militaries around the world as well. So this is a shield that we developed that could use the energy of the blast against itself. So if you watch the shockwave, if it plays again, you'll watch the shockwave actually drawing back and, and using its own energy to, to fire back on itself. And you can park those on the sidewalk and protect a building or, or people from that blast. Uh, think of a car bomb or something like that. So it's kind of fun. Uh, we deal in energy, uh, big energy, which is uh, bombs and bullets and fire and things like that. And that's kind of the heart of who high impact technology is. So let's go to the next one, if we could. Um, so one of our companies here in Salem is a company called Watershed, and, and we're we make rain gear. And so like the motorcycle police and your public works people here in Mary County Sheriff and all that kind of stuff, they're wearing our Gore-Tex rain gear that we make for them. And I'm proud to say, you know, American made sewing is really uh, kind of an anomaly that's much less now. Um, and so it kind of has to be niche. And, and we own the niche for high-end rain gear for the region. We ship all over the country from Salem, but that's, that's kind of our flagship. And this is a sister company of ours, uh, Watershed. Um, so uh, in about April Fool's Day of 2020, 
I woke up on a Friday and said, we make big body parts for, for officers and that kind of stuff. The desperate need for the local hospitals was just insanely needed for PPE. So I called up our state rep, uh, Mr. Paul Evans, that I've worked with in the past. And I, I said, you know, hey, Paul, do you know how we could plug into this? And he said, well, we're meeting with Salem Hospital this afternoon. And would you want us to bring that up? I went, yeah. And so they were meeting at one. At 1.15, I got a phone call and they said, what can you do to help us? And, and I, I said, well, the best thing you could do is you could go to your nurses. Uh, they're not bashful. Take what you're using right now and tell us what you love or don't love about that. And, and let's meet. And so at four o'clock we met, they landed on what they liked or didn't like about what they had. They informed us that they were cutting garbage bags at that point, they were getting so desperate. Um, so we took that feedback over the weekend, we made working prototypes. On Monday, we handed them to the Salem Hospital team. And by Tuesday morning, all four divisions had signed off on it. And by Friday, we were in production. Um, one of our customers, uh, actually knew where to get some of the material for that. And we were able to pull it out of the Carolinas. And uh, we ended up making about 150,000 of them uh, with that material. And then we were competing against all the other states, the VA and everybody that couldn't get PPE on a national level. And our supply chain just, just went, went away. It just blew out. And so we ended up inventing our own fabric to be, be able to continue making these. And so um, Saniam uh, in Staten, Samaritan Health Group down in uh, the Corvallis region, and then Salem Health and, and its you know, whole, whole thing, we ended up supplying them over 700,000 gallons. And, and this was part of the PPE initiative that uh, SEDCOR was going for. We kind of launched in that, and then we needed horsepower. Kind of, you need political horsepower, and you need kind of other uh, you know, you know, conversation pieces that have to happen to make something come together. And SEDCOR was really instrumental in, in that conversation. So thank you, Eric and team for, for firing in on that. Um, the young nurse there is my niece and she works out at, at SADIAM and she's a little bit a quirky person. So she had to, of course, be serious and not serious. Um, but I'm proud to say, you know, we are protecting our folks that way. Um, the quantities needed uh, kind of diminished when the, the Chinese supply flooded black back in and were more expensive, but I want to keep that capability uh, uh, available so that we could wrap back up if we ever had an economic war or a, a shooting war or something like that. Um, the sad part is Oregon was way, way, way behind the power curve um, to a point like they had 300,000 masks in stock. They went to pull them out and the, the elastic had rotted off. They never had been cycled out. And so one of the conversations we had with uh, Eric and his team was we need to get base materials. With raw materials, you can do things. Without the raw materials, you can't do anything. And you need to map out the capabilities of the region, who can do what, when, and working together to, to add that capacity. So we, we jumped in as part of this network the idea of I can make PPE, uh, they could make masks and that kind of stuff. And who has equipment and, and we have a swing shift that's available. We could actually engage, you know, those kind of conversations should happen before the mayhem, not 
during and, and way behind the power curve of that mayhem. So mapping out the capabilities of the region is a critical part of our, you know, make your own to protect your own in our region. And, and we fostered that as a critical part of what I envision this. I'd never want us to be behind the power curve of that again. It's not fair to the nurses and doctors and the, you know, the firemen and the, the ambulance drivers and things like that. Everybody that, that uses this material um, it's disrespectful on a statewide level not to have that capability. And so we will not let that capability go away, even if we just keep it on a simmer uh, as needed. But, but we had to fan up in the heart of a COVID environment. You actually can't stuff more people in the same building. So we actually had to make pods and distribute the manufacturing of this all over the region, all over Salem in different pods. And then all the logistics of moving the parts back and forth and getting them to the hospitals and that kind of stuff. Um, Salem Hospital has just been an incredibly strong ally in this, and we've enjoyed truly working with every one of the hospitals. Uh, you know, it, it's an honor to say that we were able to, to flood in and, and help them, and, and I really, you know, take great pride in that. So Watershed took on the PPE side of it, 700,000 components. Uh, if you add up 700,000 in material, that's 500 miles of material that we, that we fabricated in our Salem building. You're tuned to All Volunteer Community Radio KMUZ, Turner, broadcasting to the Mid-Willamette Valley on 88.5 and 100.7 FM. This is our weekly public affairs program, The Forum. I'm Forum producer Stella Schaffer. It isn't all Christmas trees and commercial fishing. Oregon's varied business sector includes jobs in the manufacturing and service industries. We may not think of the Mid-Willamette Valley as a steel-built region, but there's a lot of business in making products from soy sauce to pandemic masks. All businesses needed to respond to the unexpected pandemic that we discovered was unfolding two years ago. In this presentation, representatives of the manufacturing sector told the Salem City Club how they've responded. Of course, then what happens is the fires happen up the, up the canyon, and I called up United Way and Red Cross, and I said, okay, everybody's been told to go to the uh, fairgrounds. What does everybody forget? And they said toothbrushes, toothpaste, and, and dental floss. So our little company bought a couple hundred bucks worth of that. And we went over to the fairgrounds, and I looked at this cacophony of, of goodwill and fear and kindness and, and you know all of this with a COVID arc over the top. And we stepped back and said, what could we create that could help that? And so the surge kit was a concept that came out of the PPE about being able to pre-staging PPE around the state. Could we pre-stage uh, supply kits uh, that are ready to go in the event of Cascadia or some other major forest fire or you know, mother nature event? Um, the red crate is, is a 40 by 48 pallet, 80 inches tall. And on the outside, that big black bag is actually a, a 18 by 15 military tent that's made in Eugene. And the idea of putting the shelter on the outside means you have access to it immediately to be able to pop it up. And then inside that red crate is enough material and supplies for eight people for 14 days. Water, MREs, uh, first aid, uh, cots, uh, sleeping bags, the whole thing self-contained for 14 days, eight people. And if I had 19 of those kids um, at the fairgrounds, I could have had a city for 150 people in four hours. I could pop them up and move them around and have them ready so that all the evacuees could land somewhere and you've got all of your supplies 
are ready to go as a tool for your emergency managers. Um, we presented this concept to the state of Oregon and, and there's a new division that's that's been stood up for mass sheltering, mass care. And, and we uh, are love being part of their program. Um, the city, the, the pop-up city that's in the middle of the pavilion right there is, is enough for about 90 people with command center and showers and a mess hall and the whole thing. That thing went up in five hours and we took it down in, in three hours. So the idea of being able to create a city that you could fold people into and, and have it waiting for everybody is, is real. We, we can actually do that. We proved that out. And so there's a, a big push to be able to pre-stage these all over the state and have that be a, an asset that all the emergency managers can use. Um, you know, statewide horsepower with local, uh, you know, horsepower to be able to pop them up. If the bridges are out, the state won't be able to get in. So you have to pre-stage them is the concept in this whole project. Um, so I'm very proud of that concept. And, and uh, it's in the early stages, but it does exist. And then the idea is how do we take this to a statewide level? Um, I've learned so much in the emergency management side on this. All disasters are local. And everybody thinks of these big mass disasters, but the city and the county are the ones that have to respond first to a disaster. And then that gets uh, overmaxed. Then you go to the state response and that gets overmaxed. Then you go to a federal response. It can be two or three weeks before the federal response can actually wave, you know, pull in. And if the bridges are blown out, a lot of the Red Cross and a lot of the components are in semis, uh, they're stranded. And, and the ability to uh, protect people and prepare for people locally is, is kind of the focus here. Um, these can be pallet jacked, forklift or airlifted. Um, they're designed to be able to move that way. And then 80% of the cost is reusable. Uh, the tent and the, the uh, structure and all the cots and things like that, the consumable is only 20% of the cost. So once the, you buy those up front, then it becomes a uh, asset that can be used over and over and over. And we actually deployed uh, our first one of those, even though this is a uh, early concept of, of being able to do that. We had a snowstorm up in the Dalles and there were some homeless people that were displaced in a COVID environment. And we actually buzzed up in an hour and you know it took two hours to get up there, but it, we actually in an hour had a shelter waiting for them. Um, so I'm proud to say, you know, the concept of quick deployment with that kind of horsepower has actually already been proven out. Um, so let's go to the next one, if you would. So then I talked with Mayor Bennett and, and the lovely people in the, the city management about uh, could we use these tents for uh, homeless shelters? You know, the, the actual tents on the last one. And the answer is yes. But what we ended up realizing and with the uh, property management or the people that are managing the homeless programs, one of, the, one of the first questions they asked me was, could you actually keep somebody from cutting through the tent and killing somebody? <laughs> well, I make armor for a living. So the answer is yes, um, that's a lousy use of the resource. So why don't we step back and make something that, that would make sense for that? And the tan ones on the bottom was the first evolution. Those are set out on Portland Road. And uh, you know, it's it was kind of a good shot of, of what we wanted to get started to doing. And then we step back and we are creating a new generation out of conventional materials uh, that's being made over in West Salem. That's the, the lighter or the darker tan ones on top. Um, and that will become the new homeless shelter of the city is what it's looking like. Uh, the first orders are being placed of these units that are being made in West Salem. Um, you know, the, the irony of my life is I've traveled all over the world 
I haven't been on an airplane for over 14, well, no, 24 months now. And uh, my remodel at my house got done and we've invented four technologies that we've rolled out. Um, my wife might not let me back on an airplane. So I'm proud to be able to take our brain trust and be able to work with uh, technologies to help our local people. And, and these are problems that are every bit as grave as what we're trying to do internationally. So I'm proud that our horsepower has come in to help uh, locally. And I'm proud that this is a Salem-based company and that we can actually uh, create jobs and, and make products locally so that we can uh, help our own economy. Um, again, jobs are the great equalizer. So I want to keep the jobs as much as we can in the region and especially in Oregon, and then to go outside of Oregon only as needed. So I think that's that's my uh, shtick. And I would like, you know, any questions? Oh, we got one last one. I always like to end with a blast. <laughs> This is out, if you look at the Central Oregon uh, scrub, that is a huge blast wave we, we uh, put on a structure that goes for critical infrastructure protection that we invented for substations. And uh, it's just fun, you know, a high-speed camera and a, a business partner that blows things up. And you know, I'm co-inventor on that technology as well. So uh, really fun to be part of the Brain Trust and I love keeping it local if we can. Uh, thank you, Russ. Um, this is Hans West, uh, and we'll be going into the question and answer. Um, let me explain briefly how that works. Uh, first, uh, you can ask your question in two ways, and I, I know a lot of you know this already. You can do it on the question and answer button there icon and type it in, uh, and I will uh, read that and, and try to stack them together if possible, um, but we'll get to that. And then you can also raise your hand. There's a button for that. And um, it, when I call on you, if you have raised your hand, uh, then uh, I will tell you that I'm going I have unmuted you and you will have to do the same on your end and then you can speak. Uh, so please uh, get the questions in. I realize we, uh, this is a little shorter, the presentation than usual. So usually there are some questions come in a little later, but uh, please, if you can move that up, we would love to have them. And uh, I know Russ Beaton would really like to uh, pose a couple of questions to the speaker. So I, I think this is a good time for him to do that. Uh, can you do that, Russ? Certainly. Thank you. Well, thank you both Eric and Russ. My goodness, I've been an economist for a long time, but I just learned more today than I have since I retired. Um, <laughs> As a, a local, um, one of the things I want to observe is that your innovativeness, Russ, um, it's, it's, and your nimbleness in, in a lot of ways that none of us really realize, uh, well, maybe Eric did, um, that, that, that preserves your profitability, but it preserves the jobs for your employees, but all the rest of us and given the jobs that you create, that keeps up local spending multipliers and, and uh, the general health of our local economy actually benefits everybody. Um, I'm no real fan of unlimited growth, but the kind of growth targeted into basic needs and even targeting um, social issues such as homelessness, uh, I, think, I think we owe a, a real debt to you. And I, I, um, I know Eric uh, appreciates that as well. So I'll, I'll let 
either one of you respond to that. So uh, this is Russ. I, I called me Russ too. We got Russ one uh, that just asked the question. But I will uh, happily be the other Russ. <laughs> my my business partner said, "You realize that you just follow the four horses of the apocalypse, and and you just come in behind that and you solve problems that that are in the wake of that." And I never really thought about that, but famine and plague and and pestilence and and war and all that kind of stuff. Um, we never want to be on the the, you know, the offensive side, we always want to be on the protection side. But, but for me, uh, the ability to pivot um, and, and take your brain trust, and it's not just our little company's brain trust, it's our entire supply base's brain trust. And it's our, the spirit of being able to innovate together with a, a robust supply chain um, is, is the secret to our success. You know, you can't make uh, a, a insane chemistry without a, a phenomenal chemist. Um, we don't have a chemist on staff, but I have friends that do in our supply base. And we put the, the idea of a, of a coding system that had to do these weird uh, functional things. Um, and by the way, it has to be done in, in days, not, not weeks or months. Um, and so the ability to create that was a critical part of our pivot. And I, I, you know, for me, every dollar that we can keep local cycles, I think it's seven or 10 times. Um, and I, I take that to heart. You know, those, those dollars staying local really, in my mind, is a critical part of what we can bring to our, our world. And I, I would just add that um, I, was, I was really, I mean, first of all, I think we we're really just surprised at how much needed to be done so quickly. Um, and, I, and that what Russ mentions as, you know, we should be better prepared for these things in the future. I think, you know, that actually resonates with probably everybody on the, on the panel and on the call today. The, um, but I think our infrastructure of, of our, you know, business partners and, and uh, you know, folks that kind of fund some of these programs and try to get information out to businesses, um, you know, I think we identified where there's some real challenges and opportunities for improvement there as well. And, and one of the groups I did want to be sure I mentioned um, as, as Russ was talking um, was the Oregon Manufacturing Extension Partnership. You know, that's, that's a resource that's statewide and it's part of uh, uh, National uh, Institute of Science and Technology. So it's kind of a, a federally based uh, program as state administered. And, um, you know, their ability, I felt so comfortable being able to just say, Hey, we have somebody looking for little glass bottles. Do you have a supplier of those? You know, because we had folks that were making sanitizers that didn't have you know packaging for them. Um, I think even with you know Russ, when we we're trying to find some equipment or for some sewers, you know, he had he had lots of materials, um, but we didn't have uh, sewists to uh, you know necessarily be producing them, and there were some specifics there. So that infrastructure also being available to us, it, it sort of strengthened our relationships with, with organizations like OMEP to the point that we have an, kind of an ongoing, much more, much more str uh, stronger relationship with, with them here in, um, in, in the Valley. Okay, well, thank you, Russ, unless there was a question on top of that. Uh, do you have anything more from our audience, Hans? I do, I do. So let me start with Christia Quillenan and question and answer. She's asking both Eric and Russ the same question. Uh, for Eric, it's what, what new business opportunities do you foresee in the next five years for the Salem area? For us, it's what new, what new technology do you foresee in the same time span? And, and I would add, uh, maybe the question could include, uh, if we're still in a COVID kind of situation, 
or not, you know, to kind of um, distinguish those two possibilities. So um, perhaps Eric, you'd like to start? Yeah, sure thing, Hans. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> it is interesting to just, you know, when you think of where opportunities were 20 years ago, and if we saw what was happening now as being, you know, our economic development, um, you know, it's, it's hard to sometimes predict where things will go, particularly when you've got pandemics and wildfires and other things that are actually, you know, dri you know driving um, job creation and innovation, you know, with, with uh, aspects like as Rust uh, talked about. Um, you know, for us in this region, you know, we, we have a variety, it's a pretty diverse region, you know, particularly for one that's kind of housing uh, home to state government. I think we have a much stronger, diverse economy than a lot of other, you know, state capital regions and, and other places. And I think what we've tried to do at SEDCOR is, is recognize where we have a unique advantage. And, and, and I'll put a little asterisk on this right now is that there's also a really tough time where, where businesses are having, you know, tough time finding you know new workers um and i don't know how long how long term that's going to be so um really for us we've been trying to zero in on supply chain opportunities and, and what makes us unique well we have some great soils here and we grow 170 different crops in this region and when you extend that um, beyond agriculture to uh address the opportunities around manufacturing of harvesting equipment and food um, processing equipment and uh, warehouse and distribution, transportation, everything that's associated with getting a you know, product from the ground to uh, a shelf or, or uh, a pantry. Um, you know, we've tried to broadly identify agriculture and then target that for innovation. So one of the things that uh, we're hoping to do with our ag innovation um, uh, hub project is really identify how businesses can um, Im improve and adopt new technologies to increase their harvest, to automate so they're not so um, dependent on, you know, on finding new workers, and then really working with our workforce partners to train those existing workers and upgrade their skills so they can take on technology and new opportunities there. So it's kind of a little more holistic approach to uh, addressing um, both uh, emerging opportunities and, and skilling up a workforce to take advantage of those and maybe provide some career uh, ladders in, in our kind of traditional industries here. That, that's one area that uh, we're pretty excited about. And there's a program called Ahivoy um, that's working with the wine industry on training um, uh, kind of vineyard workers on the various aspects of the wine industry so they can work their way into different aspects of, the, of just selling wine. And Really for us, um, when you look at, uh, you know, I had this epiphany a few years ago when, when I was in Sweden and saw, you know, we're at a restaurant and saw a, a case full of uh, Willamette Valley wines and Oregon wines as we walked into this restaurant. And, you know, I came back thinking, you know, if we have that kind of draw for just Pinot Noir, you know, how, how do we attach that to all the other really amazing things that we're trying to do in this region? So we have, um, in the name of sort of using innovation as an example, you know, we see innovation with what Willamette Valley Vineyards is doing. We obviously see innovation with what High Impact Technologies is doing. We're really trying to identify how we can improve um, and, and innovate the, you know, the industries and the employers that we have that are here already. Thank you. And uh, Russ, so the question was, what new technologies do you foresee or would like to see in the next five years? So I, I 
want to fall back a little bit. Uh, I want the Salem area region to be the micro shelter maker of the universe. Um, we, we've got an innovative shape. We've got an innovative uh, lot of thinking into it. And we're starting down that path with the, the systems we're making. And I want to be able to, to cultivate that and, and, you know, literally cookie cut it all over the area. But, but if we could ship the greater Northwest from Salem, that's, that's one of my goals in that. So I look at that as a, a huge opportunity. Um, the surge kit capabilities, the shelter program, uh, that's going to scale to Cascadia. And I want to be able to take that to all the other states. You know, natural disasters are not just Oregon-based. And having a, a uh, congruent system that all the states are working with so that they're trained back and forth, or if Washington needed to borrow something from Oregon and vice versa, or we needed teams to go up and help set up cities and things like that, I want to scale that to uh, cookie cut this all over the place. And then I have a lot of international customers that we do in our military stuff that I've talked with them about these as well. And the ability to take these products internationally, uh, both on the, the shelter program and on the, you know, the uh, micro shelter, the homeless shelter that we're doing, you know, that's a, you know, I think that has, na you know, national, if not international uh, horsepower in that potential. On the PPE side, I think the most important item that we would want to have happen is that we would want to stage, you know, four truckloads of, of the fabric that we have would make six or 700,000 cover gowns. Okay. Every five years, you need to cycle it out. So in my mind, the ability to stage critical materials regionally and then map out who does what best. And, and when the world comes unglued before the power curve goes the wrong direction, that plan that SEDCOR and, and team would be able to, to focus in on, uh, we would dust that off and engage it and we would never be behind the power curve if we have the raw materials in hand. And so I, I look at the opportunity of, of raw materials and then the mapping as one of the strongest things we could do. Not having it costs lives and money. Um, so, so the idea of pre-staging it um, in an in a intelligent, well-thought-out method, I think, is a critical part of what I envision for the opportunity. Um, the next invention that I think that we're going to go down is actually creating a, a system. When, when Katrina happened, uh, absolute mess, and then the National Guard pulled in, and they created the Cajun Navy which is basically all the people that had jet boats and, and bass boats and things like that. And they were able to fan all of those components all over the region uh, in a you know, short burst controlled manner. We have a crab pot name and, and we actually are working on making a floating toting, tote system that you can run supplies and you could daisy chain uh, 10 or 12 of these behind a, a small boat and puddle up the rivers if the bridges are blown out. We actually are creating that working prototype right now for the future for being able to mass distribute uh, these goods all up and down the coastline. And then that could go in inland if needed, depending on what the disaster was. So I think still following the four horsemen is a good idea. Um, I don't think we have enough uh, problems that we haven't solved. And I, I think we're headed down that path. So th that'll be fun. Well, and Russ, I hate, I hate to use the term, you know, the, the word logic sometimes, but really, <laughs> it really is logical to have those types of resources developed locally. You know, it, it's, you know, when, when, uh, when we were hearing, you know, going on two years ago now about, uh, um, you know, masks and gowns being stuck at overseas ports because we, you know, so much of it was made in China and couldn't get into the United States. Um, 
you know, that really does kind of make me look internally, at least, at what kind of work do we, you know, should we be doing in economic development? And some of that's exactly that. How, how, do, how are we better prepared for emergencies using the innovation and resources and, you know, business acumen that we have in our regions? So uh, we kind of coined make your own to protect your own is kind of one of the things that we've coined. And I think that should be prevalent for the whole region. <laughs> I've got a follow up question for both of you. Um, Eric, um, often the, the public image of economic development is, is a, the trade mission thing where you go around the world, go to China, go to Europe, try to, try to seduce a, a major corporation to come locate in your community. Um, my reading of what's going on now is that, that is increasingly tough. Um, also, uh, furthermore, the as I've observed SEDCOR over the years, the activities that I've been impressed with are more along the what's called input substitution or import substitution line, where you take a careful look at our local economy, you understand what they need, and then you, and then you concentrate on getting the input suppliers there, which have an innate comparative advantage. Now, what that does is to, is to create a local supply of something that we were importing and, and cutting down an import that, that you something producing locally, something you were importing, uh, it stops the, the dollars from going out of the economy in the first place. Whereas export-based industries bring those dollars back in. Well, it's much better to stop it from going out in the first place. And it seems, Russ, that's exactly what you did with the PPE. You started supplying something to, for instance, Salem Health that we were having to import before. That's exactly like creating a new export-based industry. And I'll leave it to either one of you to comment on that. I, I would like to throw in, um, I believe that there's more job creation by enhancing local production and enhancing the sales of the local production than trying to bring in a big, uh, a big employer. Um, we have a hard time as a state competing against uh, a Texas or something like that. So, so you, you look at what's anchored locally and how could you enhance that? Uh, I believe there's huge job opportunity creation from that exact subject. And, and I think it's easier to do that because you can take an existing base and expand it. And that's much easier than trying to you know, pour new concrete and all the things it takes to put a new facility in. Drawing on my lurid past teaching regional economics, uh, Russ, the figures are about 75% to 25% of what you just said. Wow, that's cool. Uh, Russ and Russ and Eric, we have two people whom I would love to present. John Hofer. Uh, John Hofer, Salem City Club member. I wanted to uh, first say that I'm absolutely blown away by the collaborative effort between SEDCOR and the private businesses in this county and what you've been able to do. I think it's an absolutely fantastic skill to develop because it's a different logical level of community organization that is not immediately obvious. It's something that you have created, you have claimed, and it's going to continue to give you good results. I also wanted to ask in the same vein, what has this done to help people in the local community to begin to see the problems we have as not political, but as pragmatic, that we do not see a COVID situation 
or homelessness as a political situation, but that it is a pragmatic question that can be addressed without having to allude to political positioning or factionalization. John, first, thank you for the for the kind words about the organization. I think we we try to, um, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's our 40th year this year, and I'm one of I think only five executive directors your organization has had. So it's been a stable group, but we try to change with the times as well and be reflective of the communities that we serve and and the industries that we serve. I think one real benefit of our organization, and we were just uh, talking about this about some issues in in the world. You know, we are publicly funded largely. We, we have a, a diversity of funds, but we have a contract for services with counties and cities. And that um, really helps us to really focus our work on the work and to, to a degree stay out of the politics. Because uh, I've always felt even in, when I worked for a smaller geographic area of, of just a, a city, if you have a room full of people and they tell you there's 50 things you should be doing, you only have the capacity to do three or four. So hopefully everybody can figure out three or four things you can agree on. And I think that's really how we try to develop our work plan. We have a strategic planning session coming up with our board and some of our partners to do that check-in to see, you know, okay, where else should we be looking? And, you know, when it comes to some of the issues that are, um, when you get into the politics, whether it's COVID and the pandemic and the impacts or homelessness in the region, we're in a very fortunate situation at Sidcor that we were able to work with the 17 or 18 businesses I mentioned around PPE. I mean, we, we really concentrate our efforts on building up what we have here already. Well, I, wanna, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you both. Um, what you've provided us uh, exceeds our wildest expectations. Let's agree to stay in touch with the Salem City Club because we view ourselves as the, the preeminent adult education element of the town. You're listening to KMUZ, Turner. Visit our website at kmuz.org to see our complete program schedule and learn more about supporting KMUZ. Welcome to The Forum, our weekly public affairs program. We edit and rebroadcast recordings of lectures, interviews, and presentations of public interest to the Mid-Willamette Valley. Find our Facebook page, The Forum on KMUZ, for upcoming topics and to leave comments. Today's forum is a recording of the first of two business-centered presentations put together by Salem City Club program directors. This first event is on lessons learned from the pandemic and why it pays for local manufacturers to be nimble. Another coming up will feature the service sector and its response to the pandemic. Today's lunchtime presenters came from the high-tech and economic development areas of the manufacturing industry in Oregon. (music) 